Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Food for Thought. Today, I will be publishing the second half of my conversation with Uncle Randy. I do apologize about the rather abrupt ending of the last installment, but there wasn't really a good halfway point. So this episode will actually be a little bit longer um, because there wasn't really a good halfway ending point. Um, There is a little break that takes place uh, in the actual episode um, because we both needed to use the restroom, Um, but that wasn't a great place to stop because it wasn't quite halfway. It was after about an hour and a couple of minutes. Um, Regardless, this is going to be the next installment with my conversation with Uncle Randy. But that's essentially what Epicurus, who is, of course, the founder of Epicureanism, his whole argument is that life's purpose is to pursue the maximum amount of pleasure for myself. And but then the maximal sustainable amount. So overindulgence is also a sin in that aspect. But then he goes on in, in one of his letters he wrote. He says that the greatest pleasure is the pleasure of thinking for thinking's sake. Which yeah. is just ridiculous, and it's humanism is an idea that is also very in vogue right now in, in different ways. I mean, I can't w- hardly walk around college campus without seeing these people with yeah. all the crystals that are aligning themselves with some sort of chi, which is is just ludicrous to think that a crystal is going to do anything <laughs> for you. And they and they call Christians crazy because we have because uh, we have some guidance and counseling yeah. from a, a source that we can't see. Or can't feel, and if you ask me, you can feel it. People who say that you can't have never had a real spiritual experience in, in church, but and then you have all these people that think these crystals are going to align their spirit, <laughs> and and those principles that they have, the principles that guide them, are just very self conceited in the first place, and have never actually produced something that's good. The one thing I would say right now is a lot of people are beginning to understand that if nothing else. Jesus led people and the church has led people to a better state of existence. And then, of course, you have the descenders that say that, well, no war has ever been fought in atheism, but in the name or in the name of atheism, but the name of there's nothing to the name of atheism. There's you have no reason to believe or hope for something better if you believe that all it is is we came from monkeys and will one day turn into (laughs) dust. And but the good of Christianity far outweighs the bad. And, and you have people who find this ulterior path, the path of Christianity, which is the narrow way. It's the one that's actually hard to find, yeah. and which is why it's also extremely rewarding yeah. because it, it takes effort and it takes a pursuit, but ultimately that pursuit leads to a much more cherished and valuable life. Because yeah. everyone who doesn't have it, who follows these intellectual paths and, mm-hmm. and tries to follow the 12-step programs to help you live a better life are always usually pretty miserable because they always have to be warring on their own effort, the lusts of the flesh. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's amazing. You know, I mean, one of my favorite scriptures mm-hmm. um, that that, that I, comes to mind all the time for me is out of Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, mm-hmm. for I... Have placed eternity in the hearts of man, in the 
hearts of men, mm-hmm. so that man cannot determine its beginning from yep. its end. Yep. You know, and and so there's this. The, you bring up these the people that are you know wearing crystals and the people that are searching for something. It's because there's a desire in every single one of us mm-hmm. for a a spiritual connection. There's yep. an eternity that has been put into our hearts, that has been put into our life, and because that that quest for the eternal knowledge is there, you know, I mean, we're on a quest, and it can only be satisfied through Christ. Because the other part of that verse says that man cannot determine yep. the the concept of eternity from because we're finite being finite beings, mm-hmm. we cannot understand, you know, the 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 the, the concept of eternity, you know, this timelessness that we have. And as you said, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, and I'm probably going to botch it, but the basis of the quote is this. He says, if I find in myself a desire that nothing in this earth can yep. satisfy, yep. then it shows me that I was made for another world. I was mm-hmm. made for eternity. And that's that's the basis of it. You know, I mean, we, we've been made for this world. And I don't care I don't care how many riches you have. I don't care if you... Um, um, you know, any pursuit of the flesh is going to leave you wanting. It's going to leave yep. you in a desire for more. You know, the the happiest people I know on the earth are Christians, you know, because yeah. their soul is secure. Their soul is safe. You know, I, as a pastor, yep. I, I've had to do many funerals, Yeah, you know, over the course of my over my um, years of being a pastor. I've had, as, as I'm doing these uh, pastoral works and pastoral things, I mean, and, and funerals, I mean, there are people that are just, broken and and beyond beyond hope you know and and uh what because they're just looking at life and thinking well this is the best there is you know i mean i the despair can be overwhelming but as christians you know i mean i christian funerals are the complete opposite yeah you know, because they you know it's almost a celebration of understanding it is i would say it is a hurt. celebration it is a celebration it's a it's a it's a it's a rejoice you know i mean the lord says i delight in the death of my saints you know, I mean, you know, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, I mean, and, and you know, because they're entering into a reward. They're entering into what they were mm-hmm. designed for and created for. And, you know, outside of that, you know, I mean, you are you are without hope, you know. And, and so yep. it's the, the basis of what life is. And so Epicureanism, moralism, you know, intellectualism, all these pursuits mm-hmm. are going to leave you flat. And in the counseling world... It's trying to help people to get to that understanding that the, the pursuits that you are trying to make in this life are, are ultimately going to bring to an end. And like in C.S. Lewis' case, you know, I mean, they had a group called the Inklings, right? Yeah. You know, just, you know, they that that met, you know, him and J.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. Owen Barfield, Charles Wilson, yep. uh, Williams, sorry. These guys, I and mean, those are the four that come to mind when I think of the Inklings. Those were the four others. founders. Yeah, there's, 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 there's a group of other guys um, that that came and gone. You know, Warren C.S. Lewis brother was a part of it. You know, a lot of times. Yep. And, but they but they would get together. And they would talk about their stories. And C.S. Lewis was always amazed and said that if you know talking about children, I've been thinking about it because mm-hmm. you brought up you know the fact that Tolkien, or I'm sorry, Lewis is is known for writing the Chronicles of Narnia, which which a lot of people consider children's books. Yeah, they're some of the most deepest theological. Yeah books you could ever read well there's something i wanted to get into before yeah. we do that before we talk about the inklings there's two things i wanted to bring up and 
One of them was another verse, because I almost always read a verse, and we've done a couple, but it was also in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is my favorite book of the Bible, and both of these verses came up in our last class. Yeah, very. Um, And this, the subheading of this one is the futility of wisdom, and it's in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Yeah. And I think I think uh, Solomon is kind of a tragic figure in the Bible mm-hmm. because he had... Because in it talks about how he wanted God wanted to rip out of Solomon's hands the kingdom. I forget if that was in, um, I think it was in Kings first or second Kings. But he's but in the Bible it says he doesn't be for the sake of David his father. But and then you also have a different picture of Solomon that is the Solomon that chose wisdom to lead God's people. And so for this time he was considered the greatest and wisest man. But he also constantly made horrible, tragic mistakes. Right. And that I think this is part of the reason is he tells us why in Ecclesiastes and goes, it's because I set my mind to seek and explore and I was afflicted with it. And many of the people who consider this some intellectual, my brother always brings up this quote um, by Bill Johnson. Uh, he said he has a guy who comes up to him and says, you know, Bill, Pastor Bill or Pastor Johnson, I, uh, I consider myself... I have an intellectual bent. And Bill Johnson replies, oh, so you have an unbelieving bent. And because intellectualism is an affliction that you get once you indulge yourself in it. And that's one of the things that I get counseling from my father with all the time is is the dangers of intellectualism. And to bring it back to C.S. Lewis, he writes about it in the um, the seventh book, the, oh, I just lost the name of it. The Last Battle. The Last Battle with the Dwarves. At the end, when all the dwarves are together and they're in this um, amazing feast, a feast before them, and all they can see in their mind's eyes and all they can see with their actual eyes because of the affliction that they've essentially given themselves, believing that they're by themselves and the dwarves are for the dwarves, is all they can see is this manure all around them. And Aslan roars in front of them and tries to wake them up, but they just can't wake up because they've stuck themselves in this mind perception that they're in uh, an outhouse, essentially, with nothing but disgusting manure all around them. And I think that's a beautiful representation of intellectualism. It's this thing that people have satisfied themselves with because they can't perceive of something possibly better than that. Yeah. I mean, they, they were, they, they would not um, get past the, they would not allow themselves to see beyond their experience. Yes. And that's the, that's exactly. the problem with intellectualism. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, everything's based on your experience and, and your, you know, your desire to, to see things uh, black or white. One of the th- things that counselors deal with a lot of times are people that have black and what we call black and white issues. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. They can't see, they only see every problem or every situation as black and white, you know, because they do that, you know, they've trapped themselves into thinking it's kind of the same concept. Yep. You know, I mean, uh, you know, people that can't open their hearts up to, to something beyond their experience, um, really are selling themselves short yeah and there's no way there's no way past that you know and and uh, you know as counselors you know i mean our the goal is to help people get past 
the, that type of a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, get past intellectualism, get past moralism, and get get to the place where they can realize that they have to see themselves as part of a bigger picture, mm-hmm. a part of a, a plan that is outside of themselves. Yeah, and to do that ultimately takes the surrender of one's heart. You know, and that's a very difficult thing to do. It's hard for Christians to do it. Yeah, you know, I'm on, on a regular basis. I mean, we've made that ultimate decision, but a lot of times we still see our problems through the eyes of of how can I fix my situation instead of surrendering those situations or surrendering mm-hmm. that problem to the Lord and letting him deal with that. Yeah. And uh, the, the, there's great scripture in first Corinthians. It says that the, the comfort that we have been comforted with were to comfort others, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the basis, a lot of, of what I do my counseling out of and a lot of what, what we should be doing uh, as counselors to each other in the world. You know, I, I have, been comforted how have i been comforted you know i i've had to recognize it in myself that you know i've had a tragic experience happen in my life and the loss of my daughter but that experience um has taught me that i can't find the answers in myself yep i can't find the answer to my grief in myself mm-hmm. well, it would be it, tragic because if yeah. if because then you have to have had that experience before but in the in the lens of intellectualism, yeah. if you can't live outside of your own experiences, then you can't actually progress. You can't actually become better if you can't live outside of your own experiences. Yeah. If you're stuck in your own experience, then you can't really get better. You can't be transformed from glory to glory. Right. You can't like that's one of the problems with the twelve step programs. It has to be well your experience and the the axiom pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Like that doesn't work. Your bootstraps yeah. will rip. Because you're too heavy. That's right. So yeah, no, it's exactly right. We have to recognize that our the comfort that we have um, comes from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's where I've received my comfort. That's what I can help somebody else. Else, with. yeah. You know, recognizing that uh, you know their prop and and uh, when we try to seek answers uh, in the material world, you know, we fall flat all the time. If we try to even seek answers scriptures like as if there's some kind of formula for for health and healing and those kind of stuff then we're we're barking up the wrong tree what we need to be experiencing and and seeking after is um revelation Mm -hmm. we need revelation from the lord and he can do that through many areas and and understanding in our life but we need we need the revelation you know people come in for counseling and they have all kinds of problems a lot of times they're another counseling term we use is filtering you know, mm-hmm. people are filtering where they yeah. only see the negative yep they only see you know they they can only see a certain side of life it's kind of like that black and white issue if they're only seeing seeing certain things from this vantage point or that vantage point you know they they only see um you know things uh one way you have to as a christian as as a believer as a person you have to be able to understand how the world works and how other people work and how how the Holy Spirit works in other people. And you can only do that by revelation. You can only do that by getting an understanding beyond yourself. And you have to ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to show you something that is that is bigger than yourself. And the, the beautiful thing about being a Christian and having a relationship with the Lord is he'll give you that. Mm-hmm. He'll give you a, a revelation about a situation in your life. And a good counselor, you know, I can't fix anybody's problem. Yeah. I'm just trying to open up a door for them to be able to hear from God 
or to be able to hear from the Lord themselves, the Holy Spirit, where they can now have an answer to their situation. Yeah. And so I try to create that atmosphere where people can say, how, how does the Holy Spirit want to speak to this situation or speak to this problem? Mm-hmm. And uh, they can go through revelation or they can go through, you know, the scriptures, however the Lord wants to give you a revelation. Yeah. He will. Well, it says in James that the Lord desires to give wisdom to all. All they have to do is ask. And I think we talk about it in our wisdom classes. Well, wisdom is really has to come from a divine gift. It's not something that we can ever earn. We can't earn wisdom. We can't work for wisdom. Wisdom is something that comes as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom is a divine aspect. And uh, the problem with a lot of people is that they conflate like wisdom with understanding. Because right. even in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes through it and he gives us three different things. He gives us knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Wisdom, which some people consider to be the pinnacle, it's the thing that must be attained to, is actually the thing that we can't ever attain. Yeah. It has to be given to us uh, through fear of the Lord, and then off of that we build understanding, which is what is knowledge of applied practically or experiences right. and then there's knowledge which would be considered like academics and that's something that has to be built on off of the platform that is wisdom right yeah i mean it's it's a, you could talk about something like this all day long you know because mm-hmm. there's so many so many avenues and so many ways that people are trying to we, we and and but by the grace of god you know we do the same thing all day long mm-hmm. we try yeah. to fix our own our own you know have our own um agendas you know we, we're agenda driven people and the, the nature of humanity you know that that is in us is to is to try to better ourselves yeah and and which is fine in and of itself you know i mean we want to be better we want to we want to pursue things that are beyond ourselves but we can't do that in a in a, in a way that that leaves out the work of the holy spirit mm-hmm. ultimately you know if we're going to emulate christ which is the goal of us as christians to emulate christ you know, that's about laying our life down. Yeah. You know, it's about dying to ourselves. It's about dying to our own agenda, our own our own mm-hmm. issues. And so as we learn how to deny myself, as the scriptures the scripture says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow mm-hmm. me. You know, I mean we have to what it's talking about is denying your you know, your agenda. Yeah. You know, it's denying your concepts or precepts about life and, and learning that, wait a minute, I probably have a wrong filter. Yeah, I probably have a wrong, you know, I probably uh, seeing things through a very narrow lens. And until I can until I can learn to lay that down and see other people's perspectives, even somebody that we know is wrong. You know, I mean, we, we have to we have to have grace for as a counselor. We have to have grace for people that that uh, have wrong filters, have wrong mm-hmm. concepts about, you know, politics is big right now. Right. Yeah. Politics and 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 uh, uh, society's issues, you know, racism and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and stuff about cops and, yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff. People have faulty ideas and their filters are bad. Mm-hmm. And so as a counselor, we have to not only not let their filter get to us, but we have to let the wisdom of the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us and do what Christ did, which is ultimately, even for that counselee, laying our life down. Mm-hmm. which can be very difficult. But if they can see that modeled for them, that's the what I believe to be the key to opening up the door of revelation. You know, when they see me laying my life down for them, maybe they will 
understand that this is what I have to do to, to emulate and model Christ, learn how to lay my life down, which is learning to lay my agenda down. And if I've laid my agenda down, if I've denied myself, then I am taking up my cross, which Christ commands us to do, which is we have to bear a cross. And so I'm bearing those things. Now, since I've I've learned to do that and I've learned to lay my, my agenda down, it's easy for me to come alongside of you, comfort you with the comfort that I've been comforting or another place in Philippians talks about bearing one another's burdens. Yeah. You know, I can now bear your burdens. I'm sorry, that's Ephesians 4. We bear one another's burdens. You know, now I can I can get to that place. Mm-hmm. And otherwise I couldn't get there. You know, so it's it's bypassing an intellectual pursuit at how to get those things, but it's learning how to trust that the Lord is going to reveal himself to us. Um, and that's the, the basis for what I do for my counseling. It's it's letting the Lord reveal himself. And, mm-hmm. and so oftentimes if I'm in a counseling situation, we're praying a lot, we're asking the Holy Spirit to, to show us something beyond. And that, of course, brings people comfort in, in and of itself because as he's given you wisdom to lead you and guide you in all truth, he's also the comforter, the paraclete. He comes alongside of you, and he is actually the one that is ambulancing you into the place you need to be you know i mean and, and he is he is he is transporting you mm-hmm. to the place but it's but it's helping people get to that place is is the key and then they they realize well god is the one fixing my my issues and, and yep. uh, by by me surrendering you know a lot of times people want an answer for something they want we want answers for our problems we want answers for the problem of C.S. Lewis got a great book, Problem Pain. It's a great, mm-hmm. great understanding of that. And he basically comes down, you know, the answer to that is there's a, there is no answer in the material world for the pain that you're suffering. For, yeah. For what you're going through. The, the answer is that, or the problem is the fact that, that, that we continue to elevate our pain above mm-hmm. the promise that we have in Scripture. Not yep. to diminish it, not to say that it's not there because it is there. And when we try to ignore it, that's just as bad as, uh, as as faulty ways of doing it. We don't ignore our pain. We we have to learn to deal with it by surrendering it and not putting it above Christ's work yeah. in our life. And if we can elevate Christ's work above that, then we can say, oh, my pain is under the blood. My pain is there. And even though I don't have an answer, I don't have an answer for why my daughter died. I, I just don't. You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, other than, you know, I mean, it was a tragic, a tragic death. You know, I mean, I could beat myself up all day long. I could, you know, I still at times deal with my own survivor's guilt. You know, I mean, and, and different things. If I would have done this better, if I'd have done that better, if I could have did this, you know, maybe those things wouldn't have happened. When at the end of the day, those things are only causing me the problem. Those mm-hmm. are the ones, you know, because if I entertain those thoughts, and so I have to surrender those thoughts and say, God, even though I don't know. Holy Spirit, even though I don't realize an answer to this pain, I realize an answer to this situation or problem, I surrender it and I accept the fact that it's part of a plan that is beyond my finite brain's understanding. Yeah. And uh, one of the things past my intellectual pursuit. One of the things we talk about in the wisdom class is the dangers of asking why. Yeah. And why makes uh, is like a myopic affliction. So when you start asking why, a lot of yeah. people think that it'll expand your horizons. <laughs> but really, when you start asking why, it, it becomes very microscopic on yourself, and it makes it more selfish. But we were talking about the inklings for a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get back to that. But real quick, let's take a break first. Okay. Because i got to go to the bathroom. Let's do it. So, all right. 
All right, folks, we are back. Yay, pee break over. Pee break over. <laughs> so we were talking about C.S. Lewis, and and we were also talking about the Inklings. And I, everybody who knows us knows that we are huge Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis Man, dorks. That's right. People would say. <laughs> so to say the least. One of the things since we were talking about Narnia that I always that I learned when reading the Inklings book is that. C.S. Lewis wrote the Inklings, or wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia after the Inklings had stopped meeting formally, mm-hmm. which is something that I thought I always like. Interesting thought experiment is how much different it might have been if they had still been meeting. Because mm-hmm. one of the things interesting about uh, the Space Trilogy is that he kind of linked Numenor and, and Lord of the Rings with his story and so i wonder if they would have still been meeting with the inklings if the narnia would have incorporated any of the lord of the rings lore into it as well yeah it's, it's always interesting to to think about that kind of stuff tolkien himself you know he he always he always kind of denied the allegory mm-hmm. of his stories you know just yeah uh, you know just uh you know creating fantasy and i i agree with him you know that he probably you know that wasn't his intention you know, but I do think that, you know, by virtue of the fact that, you know, he was was a Christian, you know, Catholic, you know, but Christian, but part of like the group, like the Inklings, they met twice a week, mm-hmm. you know, very, you know, very religiously, you know, I mean, they yep. met, you know, at the, uh, the bird and the babe, the eagle and the child. Yeah, they called it the, the bird, bird and the, the babe, babe, though, the babe, the because they the thought babe, it though. sounded more oldie English, oldie English, the bird and so. the babe. They met there Tuesdays and then they met mm-hmm. in C.S. Lewis's. Uh, chambers kind of at his quarters at Magdalen mm-hmm. College um, on Thursday nights, and that's where they had their their literary discussions. Yep. You know, on Tuesday mornings they just kind of met and drank beer, and you know, yep, and, in the morning because they're yeah, English. They, hey man, yeah, that's just what they did. I was supposed to be able to go there in this May because we were going to go to Oxford, mm-hmm. England on a, on a trip. And I was going to try to, I was going to try to make it there, but it got canceled because of the Wuhan. <laughs> Wuhan, yeah, definitely one of my goals to get to the Eagle Child. Yeah, the bird and the babe. Yeah, the bird. And, I always call it the bird and the babe because that's what babe. they referred to it in letters and stuff yeah. that they wrote to themselves. But Aunt Becky's been there, which I didn't know. Which is funny because she's not even a fan. Yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> it is a shame. That's right. Um, but we will. Um, yeah. So, so I love. One of the things I loved about talking about, you know, even Tolkien, you know, his allegory, mm-hmm. his lack of allegory, as a Catholic, as a Christian man, um, you know, I mean, yeah, you can't really do anything, you know, without there being, especially as an author, especially as an author, without you know deriving from, even if even if it's subconsciously happening, mm-hmm. you know, and and, uh, and that was that's fascinating to me. That's why, I, you know, the the stories, you know, I mean, I first read. You know the the Narnia books and you know the uh, Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion. When I was a young teenager, mm-hmm. you know, I was probably eleven or twelve years old when I first read through um, all those books. And uh, you know, obviously, they captivated my heart so quick and so yep. fast. You know, because of because of the the nature of you know good versus evil. You know, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Humans, you know, um, you know, being the best versions of themselves, but it's, you know, I mean, I, we have my favorite character in all of Narnia's, but well, I get, you know, how do you pick? But yeah, 
I mean, I have two two that I go to a lot. You know, you have uh, Puddle Glum from the Silver Chair, which is one of my all time favorite characters. Which is funny because why is that? Well, because Puddle Glum was based on based. So Lewis had a gardener, and I can't remember. I think his name was Jack too, but um, probably. I'm pretty sure it was actually, but but he had a gardener that came around, and he had this this kind of this surly or you know, this kind of downcast attitude, you know, always, mm-hmm. you know, and the Puddle Glum's character in the book is like this, this guy who's always like, an you know, Eeyore. He, he's an Eeyore. Yeah. An Eeyore type of character. He's like, Oh, you know, even though it might be sunny out, he goes, Oh, we better take our umbrella, you know, because it's no doubt going to rain anyways. You know what I mean? And, you know, even if it's, you know, going to be sunny mm-hmm. all day and, you know, just kind of that, that type of, and it was based on this, this, uh, uh, Lewis's gardener, mm-hmm. and and I kind of always was like that. But he said he always had such high respect for this man, you know, that took care of his stuff because he was he was so integral to to just um, never stopping his job, always being yeah. faithful, no matter what. Even though he had a New York complex, you know, he he always was very diligent and faithful. Paul Glum, the character, is like that. So yeah. He's, so he's kind of the Eeyore, but but he's the one that kind of keeps him on track, and then he's the one that when they're in the in the story, you know, and sorry, spoiler alert. Yep. But the uh, evil queen, you know, that's got them uh, trapped underground, and mm-hmm. you know, is trying to take over Narnia and all this kind of stuff. Got them trapped, and Puddleglum is the one that kind of comes to his senses and realizes, well, this this isn't how it's supposed to be. You know, I normally wouldn't think like this. You know, yep. why am I letting myself being tranced by her by her uh, um, uh, potions and all the stuff she was doing yep. to try to get them uh, hooked. And then um, just stomped out the fire. Right? And so he got up and at, at peril to himself, you know, burned his feet, you know, which he had for the rest of his life, burned his feet, and but he stomped out the fire, you know, and uh, because he was able to do that, it snapped them out of their the spell they were under, and he, you know, they were able to, you know, help save the prince, and you know, and, yeah, uh, and then they were able to find their way to freedom, and um, that's Puddle Glum is, you know, a, a, the character that that if I I'm probably the most opposite of. I am probably the most opposite of Puddle. puddle I would puddle. agree with that, <laughs> but but I aspire to be like him, you know, because mm-hmm. he's because he's just this great character. So the allegory in there, plus you got Reaper Cheap, and he's oh, always been Reaper Cheap is amazing. Reaper Cheap, that's my that's dad's favorite. Yeah, well, opinion. he's just a you know the he he's he's the odds-on favorite in a lot of ways, just because he's so heroic and because you know it, it's it doesn't take the mighty. You know, to be mm-hmm. the hero, it doesn't take the you know. Yeah. And, and Reaper Cheap of all of them, you know, I've never really heard anybody else talk about this analogy, but but he's kind of like a, to me would be like an Elijah character, like if mm. you're comparing to like Elijah or Enoch, because because he never tasted death. He was able to cross That's over. True. You know, at the end of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you know, he was able to cross over into uh, Aslan's land, um, mm-hmm. you know, without without dying. And uh, so, but it, but that just that I've always been drawn to those characters in the scriptures, you know, because they, you know, Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him, you know, and he yep. was obviously a man who whose goal, main goal and desire was to live by, you know, a revelational knowledge of who who Christ was, you yeah, know, and, and uh, or who God was, and uh, because, anyways, so Reaper Cheap is, you know, and it doesn't matter, and we can all attain to that, you know, I mean, Reaper Cheap is a small mouse, you know, so I mean, it's not yep. like a he doesn't have physical prowess, you know, I would. as his as his thing that makes him a hero. Yeah. Which is amazing. 
Yeah, I think it, it's hard because I would, if in my mind, I would compare Reaper Cheap to like David, okay, because of the mighty warrior, yeah. but also a like I don't I don't know if they ever mentioned it, but I also he also was kind of like a poet in, in his attitude and his manner, and that's what David is like a like a warrior and, and a poet, and he would Honor. sing songs, yeah, and so I I could see Reaper Cheap just breaking into song that'd be very in character <laughs> with him singing about Aslan, so I would always think of Reaper Cheap as like a David like character, sure. a David figure, but well, he, I can he, see that too. I lo- yeah, I can see that too. Reaper Cheap, uh, one of my favorite, and Prince Caspian. Prince Caspian, mm-hmm. my favorite scene in all of Lord of the Rings, you know, is when Reaper Cheap's tail is cut off at the after in the Narnia. battle. Huh? In Narnia, you mean? In Narnia, what did I say? You said Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yes, Narnia. In Narnia. Um, they yeah. get, his tail gets cut off at the end of the and battle. And all of them. And yep. all, and his mice that, you know, were, were the, his followers, you know, I mean, you know, Aslan's trying to teach Reaper Cheap a lesson and saying, you know, I mean, you're prideful because of your tail. You know, you think it's, you know, I mean, I'm not going to do that. And, and his and his mice, you know, came up to him, and they were all about to cut their own tails off. Yep. And they said, you know, far be it for us, you know, to live with the shame, you know, that our leader doesn't have his. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see that in David too. You know, David's yep. mighty men. You know, and, he and dumps people, out the water. Yeah, David went, and, and he, you know, David's mighty men. You know, they when they started out, you know, they were a band of of uh, thieves and mm-hmm. you know the the outcasts, the downtrodden, yeah, the downtrodden David and the, and, and and the and cave they, of Adullam. They, they came to him and they banded yep. together with him and they became, you know, the greatest, probably the greatest fighting force, military, yeah. uh, you know, in existence, in, in ever, you know, ever. That, that ever happened. You know, they were they would break into, you know, they swam through the sewers, you know, to get into cities, into Jerusalem. you know, to steal things. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yep. You it's know, it's, it's all well. One stories. of the things that's interesting to me, and well, a couple of things, but so they often consider the Norsemen to have the Berserker tribe to be the greatest fighters in existence, and they they measured them by like one of the greatest. I forget his name at the moment, but he he beat forty five men in single combat. He stood alone on a bridge, yeah. and but the interesting thing about the Berserker tribe because it was like a, it's a tribe. And they would often before battle uh, go and take these drugs and they would actually like physically become demon possessed. Right, right. And it said their bodies would deform slightly and they weren't allowed to live with the rest of the people in the tribe because they were so dangerous. And so they would get like demon possessed essentially and fight these people. But then in the Bible, it says in the spirit of God descended on them or like with Samson and and all these people. But and then the one man defended his uh, beanstalk and killed 300 men and had he couldn't let go of his sword because the the blood. Yeah. Because the the blood from the sword dripped down and calloused over his hand, and he couldn't let go of his sword after the battle. Stuck to the sword. Yep, this is crazy. (laughs) But but I've never. So I've read all of the Lord of the Ring, or yeah, I've read all of it. I think I actually listened to all of it, and then read Narnia, and then I'm reading through C.S. Lewis books. But I have not read any of Owen Barfield's or. Williams, what's his first name? Charles Williams. Charles Williams. Charles I haven't Williams read any a, of their books. I, I did read Charles Williams. He wrote a book on, um, uh, like, on the gospel. I, I, I can't remember the name of it right offhand, but it was like on, you know, on the the you know the issue of how how to receive you know the testimony of Christ. But he didn't write any fiction or anything. Um, probably. I think he was a poet. I think he was yeah. a very poetic. 
guy. Because I know Owen Barfield has a book that I want to read on, like, the history of English literature. Yeah. But he's also got one of my favorite quotes that I've actually talked about on the podcast before is that he's famous for saying words have a soul. Yeah. Which I think is very true. And there's one of the reasons that I think that no author, even though Tolkien very famously says that he's, there's no allegory in his books, it's impossible to have that. Yeah. Because all fiction is a reflection of the times that you live in. Really, really, so Tolkien was trying to respond to people that were trying to make... Compare him to C.S. Lewis. Not only that, but but trying to to say that he was writing about the, the World War One, the World yeah. War II, and... Um, you know, that he was, you know, trying to, uh, you know, draw, you know, comparisons, you know, mm-hmm. to the the engines of war, you know, and the different things, you know, that Saruman was creating, you know, yep. to create the orcs and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And he was talking about the industrialization of the world and all that yep. kind of stuff. And, and that's what he was responding. He was like, no, that doesn't it's, mean any yeah. of those things. You know, I think that if, if he were here today, you know, he'd probably admit, you know, that, you know, certainly Aragorn and Gandalf, you know, could represent christ-like figures mm-hmm. you know or save saving type figures especially considering gandalf comes back from the dead and and all those types of some he's a son mm-hmm. of the guy he's a maya himself mm-hmm. and so there's you know i mean and, and uh aragorn as well you know i mean the, you know a lot of a lot of a big overlooked part of the books you know is when aragorn has aragorn gimli and legolas have to go through the pass of the dead yeah and literally he calls the dead you know, to fight for them, you know, people that had betrayed and, you know, all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it's like, that's, that's, you know, I can't read that without thinking of Christ, you know, going down, you know, when Christ was, you know, went down to hell and set the captives, captivity yep. captive free, you know, and all this stuff. Then he stuff. also released them from their undead yeah. state. Yes. And then he, and he was able to redeem them. Yep. You know, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, I don't know how you can. You, know, and then you can't so get past many of, There's so many. And it's also, it's, it's I mean, also. And maybe we as Christians just like to. I would, I would <laughs> say, I would definitely say that's not the case because it's also a testimony to that's like the great Aragorn story is the greatest. It's the story retold years and years because sure. even his story is a reflection of David again because yeah. David has one of the greatest stories and I think that's one of the reasons that people will often say that the Bible is not true. Because so many of its stories are retold, yeah. but I would make that, and so they would say that, oh well, it's just that's the old stories, and good stories are always retold. But I would say no, that's the beauty, and that's what makes the Bible true, and that's even what Tolkien said to C.S. Lewis is that it is the true myth, because all of the myths that we have stemmed from the Bible, yeah, and they all stemmed from those stories that are retold through time, because it yeah. it's echoes of something that's true, and that's sure. why and. Lord of the Rings is such a classic. If, if you take Aragorn's storyline or Frodo's storyline or, or Samwise, and then so many of C.S. Lewis's books as well, they're all of the old classic myths that we have that ultimately come from this true source, the Bible. One of the, the greatest stories ever told all come from the Bible, yeah. and that's what makes it amazing. And that's why The Lord of the Rings is still one of the number one all-time best-selling books, even to this day. I think it's actually like number twenty-six. It's the it's the the rule by which other fantasy writers, yeah, are judged by. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and I've read some amazing books and some great great uh, stories out there, you know, but uh, nothing still captures the essence of. of, Well, it's there's so much depth in it. The humanity. I mean, yeah, we mentioned Samwise. I mean, look at a character, you know. Who embodies humility and self-sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, and, and who 
bodies, you know, this ability to, to lay down their life, you know I mean? Yep. For, for someone else, you know, and that, I mean, that's the quintessential, you know, mm-hmm. point of it all, Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, laying your life down for someone who wasn't even worthy of it. Because Frodo wasn't all the way... I mean, he was kind of mean to Samwise, and, and he told him to leave when Gollum was there, and which is exactly what Christ did for us. We weren't worthy of it, and Sam... Frodo did nothing, really, to deserve Sam's loyalty, right. but yet he was loyal well, to a fault. Yeah, yeah. Did you, name, did you name your son after that Sam or the Sam from the <laughs> Bible? Um, Samuel in the Scriptures is my technical answer. Yeah, technically, <laughs> if anybody, but, if uh, anybody from the church asks, it was. But the there certainly, uh, certainly was a, uh, um, you know, a, a throw to Samwise Gamgee. You know, I knew that. Yep. You, know, you know, Frodo called Sam Sam, and I called my son Sam. And there's certainly that that element to it. Now, Frodo, Frodo's character, you know, he's a tragic mm-hmm. character ultimately. You know, because mm-hmm. you know, even though he ultimately fails in the end, it's still a model of us. Yep, you know, we ultimately fail in the end, and yep. we need a savior we need someone else to to carry us mm-hmm. up the mountain and we need somebody else to you know ultimately couldn't do it you know but but really you know there the connection between frodo and Gollum is what you know became you know they became entwined by the yep. same thing you know yep. which is what the issue of humanity is, or the issue of sin and is in yep. our life and so they because they were they were intertwined you know because they both had the the, the ring ultimately had power over them and it's actually a good redemption story, you know. And mm-hmm. Frodo redeems himself, you know, many times after after the fact, you know, where he yeah. recognized he never could have done it without Sam, and he he gives the greatest honor to Sam, mm-hmm. you know. And and, uh, and Sam really, you know, I love the fact that Sam has the last line in the book, mm-hmm. you know, and that uh, you know he's he's becomes the, the the last thing, you know, and and Frodo, you know, even Silmarillion says that, you know, even Samwise was able because he was a ring bearer for a short period of time. He was able to go to the Grey Havens. Yeah, I I have not read the Samarillion. Oh, I will yeah. I will admit. Yeah, that's in the appendix but, actually. Yeah, yeah. There's so much. One of the things that I love about fiction in general is there's so much that we can actually learn from it, and that's one of the things that bothers me as a, an avid reader and writer myself. A lot of people say, "Well, I only like to read books that I can learn from." But that's a very ignorant statement. That's very telling that you can't, it's saying that you can't learn something from fiction. But there's a lot of great philosophies that actually come from old Greek. So I knock on old Greek philosophies a lot, but some of the stuff they did get right. And the idea of mimesis, which is the ultimate tell form of storytelling. And it essentially is just an idea that it's a reflection of humanity that we get in lit in literature and in yeah. fiction and in stories. And it's the best way to actually learn about fic- or learn about yourselves is through fiction yeah. because it gives you more aspects to bond from. So you can see yourself in it, which invests you more in the story. And then you learn from the story. Yeah. And Aristotle thought that mimesis was a good thing. But Plato thought it was a bad thing. Yeah. Plato thought that because it's a, a third-hand copy, because Plato believed that we in this world are a copy of some ideal, idyllic thing that we can't see, mm-hmm. so we're already a second-hand copy of the perfect. And then when you read plays or read poetry, that's a third-hand copy. 
what Aristotle thought it as a good thing is because it's a way it's the only way that we can actually look and reflect upon ourselves is looking into the stories that are written about us. Right. And that's how we can learn so much about mankind's state. Absolutely. The first episode I did was on that idea okay. on on looking back at the Greek myths to learn what culture was like back then which is what we do in actual historians it's what they do they they read mythologies and they learn about them and they read the they look at the paintings and and the potteries and they can learn about the cultures that's exactly what's going to happen it's already what we do with the classics and that's what's going to happen one day with the marvel cinematic universe people in a hundred years or a thousand years are going to look back and see these movies and learn about the culture that we have now and realize that we're in a pretty desperate state from those. But but when we look into Lord of the Rings and when we look into C.S. Lewis, we can learn so much, even if like when it's in Tolkien's case, it's not a direct allegory, we can learn so much about what Tolkien believed was good and what Tolkien believed and what the people around him and the people of that time believed to be goodness. And, and we can right. most certainly gain a lot of spiritual insight from C.S. Lewis's books. Yeah. I mean, we already talked about the dwarves and and so much from C.S. Lewis. Is, yeah. It's just amazing. Well, we read those books for fun, but, you know, ultimately, you know, just as you say, you know, they're a reflection of man's in, innermost, you know, ideas. Yep. You know, and and uh, innermost uh, yearnings and longings. And, and one of the great things about, the Inklings and and C.S. Lewis and and J.R. Tol- Tolkien both had a hero, a literary hero mm-hmm. by the name George, of George MacDonald. MacDonald, right? Yep. And so George MacDonald, you know, I mean, and he and I don't know if you read anything. I read a couple of his. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, his 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 you know his stories with Curdy, you know, and 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 all the all those Curdy and the Goblin, Princess and the Goblins, you know, I mean. It's this great story. I mean, it's a great story. I mean, I, I wish people would read it. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like, it's it's kind of in the genre of like fairy tales. You know, yep. like you know, like Snow White and some of these. And people yeah. tried to put him in that category, but he was very specific in saying that these stories are not fairy tales. Yeah, it's not meant to be a fairy tale. The author, you know, even when he introduces the story. You know, it's like he's talking to his granddaughter or something, and he's trying yep. to tell her that these these stories are not meant to be mm-hmm. a fairy tale. They're meant to teach you something. Yeah, just what you're saying. And and Curdy, you know, like Curdy, you know, here's this you know twelve year old boy, you know, who goes, you know, ends up, you know, because he's you know he's he's a low class citizen. He works in the mines yep. and all these things, and he ends up uncovering the you know the the trolls plot or the goblins plot. I've you read know, that a, one a long time ago, but I don't remember much about it. Well, they're you know they tried the goblins are trying to tunnel under the castle, you know, to steal the princess, you know, who's who's yeah. who's at a like a cottage, you know, the king has her living at a cottage, you know, to protect her, you know, and so she's she's there, and so the the, the goblins are trying to tunnel under the castle to to capture her and take her and and force her to marry the goblins. Yes, I remember. And so this. the goblins then they would be able to go to the king and get some you know rewards not rewards but they'd be able to be yeah. recognized as you know their own people and have freedom and that kind of stuff and along the way this princess you know starts to encounter you know her quote quote grandmother mm-hmm. who's really like a like you know a, an angel or like mm-hmm. this uh, 
her, it's, you know, it's like, you know, she's, uh, you know, she manifests, you know, she's like a spiritual being, you know, yeah. that teaches her about things in life that she needed to do. It's really the, the spirit of her mother or, or something like that, that was married to her, um, her, the king, her father, you know, and so she was able to mm-hmm. meet this, uh, meet this woman and all this kind of stuff. And anyways, um, and it's a great story. And, and then Curdy, of course, is the hero of the story. You know, he uncovers mm-hmm. the plot, saves the princess, and able to, you know, tell the people what's happening and the key rewards. Him. And C.S. Lewis and Tolkien looked at him, MacDonald, and they decided, you know, this is what we're going to model yep. our storytelling after. Yeah. You know, Tolkien I, has a book called On Fairy Tales that yes. I want to read. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. but I I'm haven't very... actually read that either. So who's one of the people that you would consider to be like not talking about the Inklings in this context? One of yeah. the smartest people that ever lived. Who do I think is the smartest well, person? One of them, like a, a scientist. What, like Albert Einstein? Type? Albert Einstein. Okay. This is one of my favorite quotes All from right. Albert Einstein. If you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. Yeah. If you want them to be even more intelligent, read them more fairy tales. <laughs> right. And so even Albert yeah, Einstein... Yeah, even Albert Einstein is like, read your kid's fairy stories because it tells you about you. It tells you about existence, about life, about society. And it's and it's amazing that so many people still say that. Like, it's one of my big pet peeves is people like, oh, I only read books that I can learn from. Yeah. It's like, well, you can learn from reading in general. It doesn't have to be the self-help books or it doesn't have to be business books. You can, you can learn because... Even then, I would say when it comes to learning about business, like, well, fiction is a reflection of society. So you want to learn about society, even if you're trying to have a business. But there's so much to be learned from because it it reflects your own heart back to you, the heart of society. And there's so much that you can learn from it. Ultimately, Jay, we are, as as beings created in God's image, Mm You know, God is a creator. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the ability to create out of nothing, you know, mm-hmm. is kind of what defines who God is. He's yep. cre- he is the creator. You know, we worship the creator. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. Mm-hmm. And the writing of stories, the writing of, of fairy tales, the writing of, of using our imagination is... Is the the nature of God in us working itself out in creation? Yep. As we create things, you know, we by using our imagination, by using those things, we are tapping into the you know, for all better ways to put it, we're tapping into the godlike nature. Yeah. That is within us. Yep. And if we can create something, and if we can learn how to to tap into that reality, you know, that, I mean, that's what makes. I mean. Writing a song, so amazing. Mm-hmm. Writing a poem, yep, so amazing. You know, I mean, the ability to work with your hands. You mm-hmm. know, what I mean, you know, even mechanics. You know, that can, you know, put together a machinery. You know, and, and or fix machinery or you know things. I mean, that's the creative nature of who God has put within us as human beings. You know, and and reading stories, reading fairy tales, reading those things taps us into those places where you begin to believe something inertly about a life and about yourself that you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you, 
we had talked earlier about the intellectualism. Mm-hmm. You know, if you only want to read books for self gain, self knowledge, all yeah. this kind of stuff, you're gonna you're gonna potentially fall prey into I would say not potentially. Of, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna undoubtedly you're gonna you're gonna become an intellectual. Yep. You know, and you're gonna become and 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 so many people just take so much pride in that, but that's crazy. But mm-hmm. they, you know, they want to be, you know, they they want to better themselves, and you're gonna you're gonna end up falling. But fairy tales and things like that will also teach you the same things, but it doesn't leave you with this idea that uh, you're creating yourself to be something good because it's yep. a fairy tale. Yeah, you know, it's a story. It's an imagination, and so and uh, and and so. I, I think it depicts the nature of God in us that that He wants us to have fun. Yeah, you know? was, uh, what, back <laughs> so, to Ecclesiastes. Back, yeah, back to Solomon and back to Ecclesiastes. Eat, drink, and be merry, and love the Lord your God with all your there heart. You know, man. It's eat, drink. I mean, I, we we talk. It's like about, well, even Jesus that's told what the parables. Were doing man, they yeah. were sitting around drinking beer and yeah, smoking their eating, pipes drinking, and, and being merry, eating and corn they, beef. And they were with, talking about the imagination of the heart and God, and they yeah. were and they were encouraging one another, and they were help. And these guys changed the world. They did, you know, through through just guys that that ultimately got together just to you know share their stories with each other. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was Jack Lewis who who at the beginning of it said i didn't even think these you know stories of narnia that i created were ever going to become anything nope you know and and uh tolkien was the one that told you about publish these things yeah you know and, and tolkien was well, he did that with the space trilogy too yeah because no one would pick up the second book paralandra mm-hmm. until see it or until tolkien pretty much said that he wasn't going to write any more lord of the rings until they published that <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's yep. amazing how and then you have C.S. Lewis when he read in the serial man, uh, manner the over the radio the mere um, Christianity for a world, during World War II. Yeah, I mean these people really did, especially Tolkien and Lewis, yeah. have had impact to 2022, like yeah. hundred almost a hundred years after. Their letters that they've wrote to each other are so relevant even for today. Yeah, if you read through the letters of Tolkien. well, history repeats itself, and so people always say like, oh, well, that's no longer relevant, but if you're if any story, because people will also say it, the one thing that I consider to be like modern fairy tales, The Twilight Zone, yeah, my favorite TV show yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're very much fairy tale esque. Oh, I love The Twilight Zone. Twi- good. Twilight Zone. Sam watching them. I yeah. Twilight Zone is amazing and it's still relevant. Yeah. I mean, it's actually more relevant now than especially a couple of the episodes the monsters are doing on Maple Street. The, um, oh shoot, what's it called? There's one where they have a, a fallout shelter. There's one guy has been building a bunker. And, and for those of you who have never seen The Twilight Zone, it's a black and white TV show from the 50s and 60s. And so they were worried about the USSR and bombing. And there's an episode where there's a bunker. This guy has been building a bunker for years. And everyone's been making fun of him for building this bunker because, oh, the Russians aren't really actually going to bomb us. And then one day the the bomb warning goes out and he gets down to the bunker and all of his neighbors flock to his house and ultimately end up destroying the bunker trying to get into it. So they destroy the bunker and then they can't get in and then comes over the radio a, a couple of minutes later that the bombing is a false alarm. There's no bombs actually coming, yeah. the nukes. And then everybody tries to be like, oh, well, 
well, Tony or whoever the guy's name was, I didn't really mean that. I didn't actually want to harm you. Like, and then he ends in this monologue like, oh, I can forgive you for, or I can't forgive you because I can never unsee what you did because in this yeah. manner you've revealed what's really in your heart. Right. He says something to that effect. And, and that's exactly what's happened over the last couple of years yeah. in our world is all these people who have been freaking out over this thing. And is are we ever really going to be able to recover from a society now that we've really seen people's hearts? Yeah. And that's exactly what a fairy tale does. That's what a fairy story is. And that's why it's so important because through that, we can actually see the reflections of people's hearts. Absolutely. I love, um, and, and Tolkien's one of the, to that point, you know, one of the things Tolkien talks about is the ends. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, yeah. And, and, they're, and, and he, he creates this, it's really a race of, mm-hmm. of beings, you know, these, these shepherds of the trees, you know what I mean? And they are there since the beginning of time, basically. Yeah, basically. You know, for for the onset of the, you know, they live through pretty much all the ages of the world. They've always been there and they've been they've been doing something behind the scenes, you know, and, and working in the earth and doing things that that the earth never realized, never understood, you know, and then they come out and they they save the day, you know, mm-hmm. in their in their regard, you know, I mean, but but their their goal wasn't, you know, to to um you know, necessarily overthrow a bad man they were just doing what was natural what was what they're they always supposed to do and they're supposed to do it so it, that that goes to that point you know i mean they what was inside of them was this thing that they always had to do and it's such a that token could create that yeah like it's almost like he's like i've got to create something you know because or think that they ended up destroying was this rock yep you know and, and it's like he it's like he you know i don't know how he got to it you know but he's like what can beat rock you know and and he, and he ends up coming the roots of the trees you know that mm-hmm. can actually crack rock and go through rock you know because of the strength because they just because there's something that's alive and a rock is something that's dead and their ability to tear down you know and you know mm-hmm. basically defeat Saruman at Orthanc it's such a great picture of of that whole idea yeah for sure there's so much of just all stories that are so relevant and I guess if nothing else, I would just encourage people to read fairy tales and and read anything and and I I but to your what you were just saying that I take a trip to the the bird and the babe yeah the eagle and the child <laughs> of the bird and the babe but that it become a spiritual birth yeah I'm very curious how how like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien's writing style was because we're all huge fans of Brandon Sanderson and Brandon yeah. Sanderson's a huge like plotter mm-hmm. so he plots everything out vividly mm-hmm. and i'm very curious as like if, if c.s lewis and tolkien were that way or if they kind of just sat down and, and wrote yeah i i i don't know the answer to that i think that they definitely had you know i know tolkien tolkien's style was he created a world and kind of let the world develop things mm-hmm. you know i mean he you know, well, he wrote the languages he wrote first. The language first, you know, and then, and then created a world for yeah, the language. And created a world based on. I mean, so you know, I mean, which even in other, itself is example writers, of what G- you know, God did. Stories, and then they mm-hmm. try to add things. And there's a to me, I love Sanderson, you know, just because of the the depth of his stories and his ability to write. He's a genius, and and it's amazing stuff. But um, Tolkien's, you know, I mean, genius lies in the fact that. He created a 
a language and then built a world seven languages those languages you mm-hmm. know, and, and for that language and and almost like it was uh so there's definitely a reverse you know in, in my mind there would be a, a difference in the writing style of course i, I watched a couple of sanderson's uh, videos on how he does creative writing anyways and like you said he plots things and he has a he has an, an end goal in mind but along the way you know i mean he just opens himself up mm-hmm. to creativity and tells a story and it's you know he's writing you know even though he's got a you know, this is what this character is ultimately going to do. Um, you know, he's he's still creating along the way. It's so where I think Tolkien and Lewis are probably different. They created characters and let the characters kind of birth their yep. own story. You know, and they just yep. kind of developed into a... Well, I think it's even the process that Tolkien wrote in was very reflective of the Bible because mm-hmm. in the beginning God spoke yeah. and, and Tolkien wrote these languages first and I don't know if you could convince me that that wasn't one of the reasons why it took off in the way it did Lord of the Rings and his world in general because it's a more organic process. I think at the time of this recording, the last episode, I know two episodes ago, was on language and how important language is and how language shapes culture because the way that you, there's science that's come out that's actually proven, or not proven because science can't really prove anything, but it's very ratified at this point that a lot of the way that we think is shaped by our language. And so the fact that Tolkien created these languages, real, actual, effective languages, like they actually have translation websites because the way he created them are so documented that it's a a real language. And the way... Just to tag that real quick, you know, I mean, God spoke the world into existence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he spoke them. He created them by, by literal sound vibrations that mm-hmm. came out of his mouth. Yeah, you know, and and that's creative. You know, it is. That is creation. It is. Cre- we, yes. That's why it's so imperative. You know that we learn to, to speak to each other. You know, even beyond language, but we bless one another, not curse. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what scripture says. You know, we bless yep. out of your mouth you should not flow both blessings and cursings. Yeah, you know, and the to tongue is like a double-edged sword. Right. We're to speak life over one another, and if we do that, you know, then we we have the ability to to create in somebody something beyond what they what they who they actually are, which which is the whole essence of a fairy story. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. creating somebody beyond what what natural man can do. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so amazing. That's why we love these heroic stories because the best stories you feel like that's why Superman is really hard to write for. And for a while in the eighties, he was actually a very unpopular character Mm -hmm. because he got so powerful that nobody could relate to him. So then they had to give him weaknesses and they had to give him the alter ego and they had to give him these human characteristics that we could relate to him because we want to feel like I can relate to this character right. and and then when I can do this I can accomplish all of these things sure. because we can and it's a innately human thing to desire to be greater than we are and to transform ourselves into something sure. better it's like we talked about earlier God placed eternity in our hearts yeah. and scripture says as a man thinketh in his heart so, so he is he. yeah and, and you know the the idea is, you know with God is you know he's 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 you know he, he, though the outward man perishes 
the inward man is being renewed day by day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, I mean, it's, it's like even though my body might be failing, ultimately as I get older or whatever, my, my inward man is doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's getting stronger and stronger and stronger and mightier and mightier and mightier until someday yeah. it'll actually overcome and I'll shed this mortal body. Okay, mm-hmm. but I'll continue to live. I'll never die, you know, even mm-hmm. though I shed my, my mortal, if I'm a Christian, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, then I'll shed this mortality and I'll put on immortality, you know, and I, and I get to ascend to the level of, of creative awareness that God had intended for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be something. Yeah. But anyways, with back to like words and yeah. why words are so important is because it, it, words shape culture and they shape society and they shape the way that we think. Yeah. And it's also why the Bible says that, like, our, our tongue is like a two-edged sword, and it actually holds power. And Owen Barfield, one of the Inklings, words have a soul. And that's why, yeah, and that's why words are so important. And I was, I was even thinking this morning, like, someone who has a gun and doesn't know how to use it well can take easily a life or two. Someone who can use a gun and knows a gun and knows it properly can save way more lives than he can take. Same thing with our mouths and with our words. And someone who doesn't have a good grasp on language and words and and with himself who can't tell good stories can easily put someone down very easily, one or two people down. But he's not creative. But when you know words and when you know stories and when you read fairy tales, you know about humanity and you know about life and and you can help so many more people with your words than you can possibly hurt because you have an innate respect for it. Just like with martial arts, just like with weapons of any kind, if you don't understand it, if you don't understand what you're using, all you can really do is hurt a couple of people effectively. But when you understand it and when you appreciate it, when you have a knowledge of it, you actually use it for its intended purpose. That's why in the martial arts community... The, the lower belts who are just at the point where they think they're really good are the most dangerous because they haven't yet been pounded on by the black belts for three years, and so they don't have a respect for it. They don't have a respect for the art they've itself. They've learned a few techniques. They've learned a few, exactly. They've learned a few techniques, and they're very dangerous, and they can hurt one or two people very effectively. But when you have three or four people, you can easily gang up and take them out, even untrained people. But when you have a black belt who's been beat on for three or four years now and he's done it and he has a respect for the art, then he's very protective of other people and he's not thinking about hurting other people but protecting the people around him. And it's the exact same way for language, for storytelling, and you have a knowledge and a respect for this instrument that you're using words and language. And when you read these fairy tales that reflect society as a whole and reflect the human condition, you have a respect for it. And when you have a Christian lens through that, when you've read through the Bible and you can see the same stories that society replicates in the Bible, you have a sense of the spirit of creativity. And instead of using the words to put people down, you can create stories that will lift people up and take them it's one of the beautiful things about fiction is you get swept into a world where your problems don't exist and you can do something that you couldn't do ordinarily. Yeah. And that's what many of the famous authors say is they love it. It's like a um, a telepathic communication because we're seeing the same thing and I can help you lift out of this depression or what's ever going on yeah. in your life. And when you, And then 
I would say you have an obligation to do that justly. As as a Christian, you have an obligation to teach them something real, which is why Tolkien's stories reflect the Bible and why Lewis's stories. And that's the reason, ultimately, I believe that they've taken off and they've existed for... Because there's thousands upon thousands of children authors that were popular and then they're gone. But C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien have already existed for a hundred years. And I think they'll continue to exist. I wish that all mankind could see the beauty in those stories. Mm-hmm. You know, see the beauty and, and realize the creativity. And even Jesus, right? Jesus says that Jesus used parables mm-hmm. you know, to communicate ideas of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Why did he do that? He did that not so that only people that could really tap into that would even understand mm-hmm. That a kingdom mindset the, the, would understand. The apostles it. couldn't. They always had to ask him, "What's going on? What did you mean by this?" And he yeah. would take time to sit and explain it. But he used parables so that, with understanding, people people wouldn't uh, be able to connect to him. That were trying to connect things in a in a, an in intellectual. a rational. You know, but if you could see, you know, the the beauty behind the 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 character or the the parable of what he was trying to say, then they could understand and grasp the concepts of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, looking and living through the parables even now to this day are such an amazing, mm-hmm. awesome thing, you know, because it's the same concept. You're using, exactly. You're using, you know, the ability to, um, the creativity of mankind to see in in the world around us, you know, something greater than what, what is on the surface. And, and if we can do that one for another, and I can see in you or I can see in other people what God had intended for you and for your life, you know, now I can, I can begin to prophetically call out, you know, the things Mm -hmm. that are not as though they are, you know, and and you begin to see things about yourself and you begin to, to entertain a you know, uh, an image of who you are in God that is beyond what you could possibly imagine or think, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's the, that's the goal, you know, and that's the, the power of the creative word, you know, the, Power of in words. the beginning was the word, and the word was life. The word was God, and the it word was, was with God. Yep. It's who Jesus is, mm-hmm. the word. Mm-hmm. The word made flesh and dwelt yep. among us. Well, hey, we've gone for almost another hour. Woo. So thank you very much for coming on today. Man, it's been my, my absolute joy. I had a great time. I did too. So Awesome. All right. Thank you. Amen. Bless you, buddy. Love you. See ya. <laughs> All right, folks, there was the conversation with my Uncle Randy. And before I leave you guys, I just want to say, uh, if you guys enjoy my show, uh, let me know in comments or ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, Look me up on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I'm on all of them. Uh, I post stuff regularly, updates when the episodes will come out, and and you guys can get a hold of me there. Um, But if you guys enjoy wacky, interesting, different topics, um, then I recommend you checking out another podcast, the friends of mine over at the Tennis Podcast, uh, Tennis 10ISH, Tennis um, Podcast, where they do um, episodes on just the top 10 stuff from all sorts of different things, like top 10 books, top 10 movies, um, they do celebrity stuff, they do all sorts of stuff like that, it's very entertaining, very interesting Lots of different topics that they cover. Uh, so go give them a check out on anywhere that you guys get podcasts. And with that said, I will see you guys next week with some more Food for Thought.